0: A story of us, our humanity, history, and department. This podcast is produced entirely by the graduate students at the Ohio State University's Department of Anthropology and in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Today is our final conversation episode of the migration series. We have Dr. Mark Hubay, an evolutionary anthropologist who studies the settling of South America, and Celine Nugent, a bioarchaeologist who studies mobility and identity in the Near East and the Caucasus. Welcome. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you for having us as well, Mackie. As Mackie said, I'm Mark Hube. I'm one of the anthropologists, one of the professors at the Department of Anthropology here, and I've been working for years on this question about long-term migrations uh, that humans had in the past. Uh, we are, as we were talking a little bit before, we are a very unique species in the planet in the sense that we, w- we are very widespread, and across the last 70,000 years, we were able to leave Africa and occupy literally every single landmass in the planet. Therefore, it's very interesting for us to understand who we are, understand how we came to be, and both Celine and I look at this question in a very different way.
2: Yeah, uh, we focus on this question through different scales. Mark looks at this question through uh, sort of long-term scales, and I look at this in short-term scales. So I focus on short-term mobility uh, over the course of a person's lifetime. Uh, My research uh, draws on isotopic methods of analyzing the human skeleton uh, in archaeological contexts to look at... um, mobility uh, over the course of human development, uh, looking at how people are moving within their environment, what resources they're using, what water resources, what food resources they're using, and how this reflects in their body. And then looking at how um, that mobility relates to sort of the social context that they're in. Um, So my research is in the Caucasus in Azerbaijan. I look at a Bronze Age population that is traditionally uh, viewed as nomadic pastoralist. And so I, I look at excavated skeletons, uh, analyze their, their skeletal remains, and uh, determine their mobility patterns and then how this relates to their settlement patterns, uh, their daily life and existence.
1: My research, on the other hand, has focused a lot on this long-scale migrations, right? Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the settlement of the so- of South America, who were the first Americans, how they came to be uh how they came to the continent and the paths they took to do this, right? So the idea is to try to reconstruct using the skeletal remains that we have in the continent, the paths humans took to occupy uh, the landscape, and that gave rise to all the processes that um, originated the Native American populations, Mm -hmm. right? My focus is in South America. uh, For... Among other other things, because I am a South American, right? Uh, but the focus is on South America, and we've been working with different collections, early collections, uh, collection of skeletons who have been from the beginning of the period of occupation from the last from the first five thousand years of human occupation in the continent. And it's quite interesting because that way we can look at mobility from different points of view, right? I'm mm-hmm. trying to reconstruct what happened over thousands of years, whereas you in a way is trying to build up what's happening in the um, during the lifetime of the individuals. And this is quite a fascinating question for us because if you think about it, reconstructing mobility, reconstructing how people moved around the landscape is really hard, particularly if you go back to the past. Many of us can basically trace back what happened with our parents, with our grandparents. Go back 10 generations, we have basically no idea what happened to our ancestors. So if you go back a 1,000 years how we're working or 10,000 years in some cases in the, you know, how we're working, this becomes a real challenge for us. So we can basically talk a little bit about these challenges and how hard it is for us to reconstruct mobility.
2: Absolutely. Um, and we have to sort of address it piecemeal since we're working with really just the, the, the few physical remains left of these people and what little information we can extract out of that. Uh, so my research extracts sort of a, a, a elemental chemistry uh, level. Of, of, of information from these individuals. Um, so I particularly look at teeth. Uh, I micro sample, which is, um, I take samples of dental enamel, which reflects uh, development of enamel over their, over their growth period. And then I analyze that elementally uh, through isotopic analysis, uh, which reflects uh, the minerals consumed during the periods of development that that enamel formed. So the food that people eat, the water that people drink, it all reflects uh, the geology where that food and water came from and the climate where that food and water came from. And so by analyzing that ma- the enamel material, I get a, a, a composition of, of what that person ate, where it came from, and then I can relate that to where that p- person moved within the environment. Um, so I can look at you know, three to four month increments over the course of someone's development as a child and see exactly where they're moving or fairly... Uh, <laughs> really close to approximation of where they're moving in the landscape and then reconstruct a pattern of mobility that is a proxy for for general mobility over the course of this person's lifetime or within their community
1: so basically we are what we eat
2: close yeah we are where we eat
1: <laughs> we are where we eat. perfect um to add then some perspective or some different approach to this question right uh I look at what the changes that are happening between generations. And there are basically two main ways for you to explore migration in the past when you look from a biological perspective. Uh, Number one is to look at the skeletal remains and see which parts of the skeletal remains uh, trace back to biological relationships over time. And the second one, uh, which is a more modern approach, is to look at DNA and how the DNA sequences that the skeletal remains have allow us to trace back the phylogenies, trace back the family trees of populations across time, right? My focus is particularly on the skeletal remains, particularly on skull shape. And because we now know that the shape of a skull reflects uh, your uh, ancestry to some extent, so we are able to use the skull shape to reconstruct who are the ancestors of these populations and trace back the origins of a biological lineage, of a family tree to some extent. And therefore, if I compare the skull shape of this early American remains with what we see around the planet, we're able to contribute to the discussion of who were the first Americans and where they came from, because this first coast will show similarities to the populations that come from the regions, from the geographic regions where they come from. Mm-hmm. However, this is quite challenging for us, and I think Selina has the same problem as us because we're really l- dealing with a very small portion of the information that we have available, right? When we're talking about reconstructing what's happening thousands of years ago, we have, if we're lucky, a small pieces of scale of bones that preserve and they they're, they're last over time, which is only a small portion of what is actually the individual and uh, how we can do to reconstruct this individual. right? How do you deal with this in a particular context? How do you handle the fact that we don't have all this information and how you are able to piece together uh, the small information that we have into a story about migration?
2: Right. Yeah, this is always a complication, but I think the best way to approach it is first to be cognizant that you are working with a very fragmentary record. <clears throat> Particularly in the area that I work in, we have very poor preservation just because of the nature of the soil. So we're already working with the limited sample of a population that existed. Uh, that's you know, The issue is amplified by the fact that a lot of the skeletal material isn't preserved well. So approaching this from a critical perspective that maybe we won't be accessing all the information we'd like to have. But then looking at the as much material that we have available and working from there. So my my approach to this has been to take as many samples as possible. So rather than taking one sample over the course over one tooth, I've been taking multiple samples over one tooth and just trying to get as fine-grained as possible. And then taking that information and looking at it uh, among all the individuals that i've taken and sort of coming to some uh, conclusions some interpretations of what, about what this might mean for the population but then considering other possibilities uh, just based on complementary evidence from uh, so archaeological material from the faunal remains uh, from botanical remains from the um, the various other contexts that uh, are, surround human activity
1: I think you touched a key component of studying mobility in the past, which is that we need multiple sources of information to talk about it. Both you and I, in our different scales, were contributing a small piece to this larger picture. Right. The problem that we have on my end of the study, on this glo- broader scale of study of migration, is that the best we can do with biology is to paint like the broad, the broad strokes mm. of uh, what happened in the past. So we can use the skull morphology or DNA to discuss if there were like one migration into the continent, or two migrations into the continent, uh, maybe even three migrations into the continent. But beyond that, we're unable to add details to the discussion unless we have information coming from others, others other anthropological fields, right? Particular archaeology, zooarchaeology, botany, botany etc. So we are, in a way, part of a larger endeavor of reconstructing mm-hmm. mobility. And while the skeletons give us important information for us to reconstruct the past, they are only one part of it. So a good message maybe for us from our conversation is that uh, it is important for for everyone listening to us to understand that anthropology is a broad field that requires multiple people working with different perspectives, with different points of view, and it's really hard for you to tell which part is more important than other, because in a way, they're all small pieces building towards a scenario of what happened in the past.
2: Absolutely, and especially with the subject of mobility and migration, where people aren't exactly staying in one area, and it's so difficult to identify them or even find their communities in the archaeological record, to begin with, it's especially important to consider multiple lines of evidence wherever you can find it um, to develop a, a better picture of, of communities that we we are more likely to, to overlook and not see.
1: Absolutely. So, of course, when we're talking about reconstructing human migration uh, over the over time. This migration, even though humans left Africa and ended up in all the continents of the planet, clearly this migration was built up of small individuals during their lifetimes moving Mm -hmm. around, right? And not necessarily with a goal of colonizing the the continent, uh, but with this idea that they were adapting to a landscape, uh, facing new challenges and evolving, growing uh, as they moved around the space. And as an outcome of this process, um, you basically have the world being occupied, right? So we always discuss about this, why people went, came into America, why people left Africa, why people left Asia, what people got into America, what was driving them. And one can argue that this is a really hard question to answer because um, what happened is that not people had this idea that they needed to be somewhere, right? Most of the times when we move, we move because we are... Uh, reacting to our environment and not being pushed forward by this ulterior motive. Therefore, connecting the life stories uh, and individual migration patterns and defining what mobility is with this broader uh, idea of how people occupy the planet is essential for us to actually be able to recreate uh, a better picture of what, what we did as a species to be where we are
2: yeah and that that's certainly the case across all time periods right i mean it certainly it speaks to uh, a number of issues over the course of human history not just in our in our prehistoric periods that we're working in but looking at the details of mobility provides us a better picture of the, the outcomes that we see the yep. dispersion
1: Yesterday we were talking a little bit about uh, what it means to be a mobile uh, human being, right? Mm -hmm. What are the assumptions we have and how people are seen, nomadic people versus sedentary people? How does your work play into this discussion? How do people...
2: Right, so in the context of uh, the Near East broadly... The, there's a long history, a trajectory of bias uh, in describing mobile people, particularly in the context of, of archaeological uh, cities, uh, complex settlements, where they're sort of pushed at the periphery. They don't really have a role in um, in the development of societies. Uh, so we have historical records, uh, like, like uh, ancient texts, like Herodotus a classical Greek historian that described mobile people as being sort of barbaric, uh, not particularly commu- uh, uh, contributing to communities, uh, sedentary communities, being more parasitic, uh, taking their resources and uh, sort of functioning independently and not uh, not contributing. And so... Uh, uh, great deal of scholarship over the the early 20th century sort of built off of these existing biases that mobile people really didn't have a, a role and it also it was that was amplified by the fact that mobile people leave very little uh, evidence of their lifestyle so there's little to work off of to really get an understanding of their what their daily life and their existence looks like so my research should have comes up against this issue of the bias that mobile people really won't have an impact on sedentary communities and the the, the context that I'm working in in Azerbaijan is an early complex settlement uh, where mobile people and sedentary people were living uh, in relatively similar spaces, they're being treated similarly. Uh, we see the similar patterns of burial and, um, and veneration uh, in their death and this suggests that mobile people were, were fairly well integrated into this society, even though there was a sedentary component, where people were living, you know, fairly uh, without moving very much. And then this mobile component also uh, contributed significantly to the development of this, of this context. So, yeah, bias has been an incredibly uh, has an incredibly important role in sort of how I've I've contrasted what I found through these these uh, micro scale mobilities that have uh, that emerged from this population.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to talk about mobility, not only to understand how we moved around, but also to classify what uh, what the difference between a sedentary population and a mobile po- population is, mm-hmm. particularly because we tend, as humans, and coming from our current uh, society, it's hard for us to imagine what a mobile life is mm-hmm. right it's hard for us to have a good idea uh, of what means to be moving around etc so we tend okay. to push this apart as another lifestyle mm-hmm. something that's not us right, right. when in reality being mobile is part of our lifestyle to some extent. For the vast majority of the time that humans were in the planet, we eh, we were mobile, we were moving around the environment and uh, pursuing our life rather than changing our environment to suit our needs. Right. And this creates this false dichotomy between uh, sedentary and mobile people. And I think your work in particular is quite interesting because it's showing that Mob- mobility and moving around the landscape, even though it was seen as something that is uh, more barbaric or less important than what than sedentary life, what you're basically showing is that this is part of life, this is part of the quotidian, mm-hmm. and people are actually uh, being treated the same, and there's no clear bias, there's no clear distinction between you being moving around for a life, uh, in your life, or staying in pla- place.
2: Right. Yeah, and actually, I think we discussed this a little bit about about how far we can actually push ourselves, and we don't really recognize that, it, that our, our, uh, the extent of our ability to move. Even in the current context, we had a discussion recently about, um, I brought up the issue of where I was talking to uh, a herder in Azerbaijan, and he said that he would take his herds up into the mountains 50 kilometers away in the summer. But he had a house in the village, and this was perfectly normal. And uh, you mentioned
1: that um- I mentioned yeah. that, yes, in the Andes, where I worked in North Chile for a while, uh, we also were working with groups who were based around these caravans, like the long distance caravans connecting the highlands to the lowlands, and we we're always interested about reconstructing the paths that uh, connected the highlands to the lowlands. And we also were talking there with the local uh, pastoralists, the llama Le- the herders, and turns out they would tell us, no, we just go uh, up to the highlands and we stay there for three months. And we'll come back and, yes, but where do you live? No, I live here, right? This is my village. This is my place. I don't move around. Yet, three months of the year, I'm 50 kilometers or more away so that the llamas can find pasture. So it's interesting that we highlight in our research uh, this idea that what we think a nomadic life is, is not how nomadic people see themselves, right? No. Gives gives us this perspective to understand humans uh, from their own perspective, both during the current time, but also in the past, and how this somehow shaped who we are.
2: Yeah, yeah we, we approach these, these people with sort of biased categories, and then we use that evidence that we find with the specific details to really break those biases and develop a more complex picture of how these people are actually moving.
1: Exactly. And this somehow also brings to us to this idea of moving around the planet. In a way, when we're talking about uh, the importance of moving around the planet and leaving Africa and occupying Asia and occupying Americas, etc., we are... Trying to reconstruct the broadest aspects of human history, right? And on my end of the question, we tend to forget as well, as I mentioned before, that these are made by individuals who are making their decisions, who were who had their own way to see the li- see life, and to adjust to their environment. So, were they mobile or not? They were pursuing a way to survive in the current landscape, and. As anthropologists, in a way, we're trying to give uh, this broader aspects of history a better context as well, right? The, we go deeper. We go back to the individual life, and the more we know about the individuals who are moving around, the more we are able to uh, create scenarios to explain why people ultimately moved out of Africa and occupied the planet.
2: Looking at that collective decision-making over time. And how it you know, builds off of each other to create the ultimate outcome that we finally see represented.
1: Exactly. So in a way, <laughs> the challenge is to show that uh, every single lifestyle that we have as human beings are valid lifestyles for human beings, right? That we're making decisions based on our current challenges and our current lifestyle. And all of them are equally important. And the, it's the collection of them and the collection of their own perspectives that gives us the perspective of what it is to be human.
0: Well, all of this work that you have guys been talking about is so fascinating. And you've covered a huge range of human history and variation in your discussion, I think. So I want to thank you for coming and talking to us today. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for
1: having us. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So for our listeners, this was the last conversation of the migration series. But we'll be posting a couple of bonus episodes soon that will continue this conversation. And in January, we'll start our childhood series. Until then, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review of the show, check us out at anthropology.osu.edu and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at a story of us osu. As always, this podcast is produced in collaboration with the American Association of Anthropologists. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will join us next time to continue exploring a story of us, our humanity, history and department.